Welcome to Talking New Energy, a podcast from Delta EE, the new energy experts. We'll be talking about how the energy transition is developing across Europe, with guests who are working at the leading edge of this transition. Welcome to today's special episode of Talking New Energy, which is dedicated today to the topic of women in new energy. Um, the avid listener among you will have noticed that I am not John Slow. Um, I'm Jennifer Aaron. I'm head of products here at Delta EE, and I'm absolutely delighted to have this opportunity to host an episode with such incredible female guests um, and leaders in the energy transition. Um, today, we want to focus on women in the energy industry and recognize both the challenges they face, but also highlight why and how greater gender equality can support the energy transition and its overall success. Um, So to do this, I'm joined by um, Letitia Uye, chairperson of De Wind Vogel, a Dutch energy cooperative and an energy consultant. Hello, Letitia. Um, And Dara Vias, um, head of Future Energy Services at Citizens Advice. Hi, Dara. Hi. Thanks both for for joining us today. Um, By way of introduction and to kick off the discussion, it'd be great if each of you could kind of say say a hello and maybe give a brief intro of your current role and your experiences so far um, in in the sector and achieving these positions. Yeah, um, I've pretty much been working all my life in the energy sector. Um, Not even pretty much. Actually, I've worked all my life in the energy sector. I started um, taking a keen interest in electricity around my 15th birthday after reading some article about the electricity pool in the UK. I come from France, so for us it was big, huge news. Uh, We had to wait another 10 years to get there, but... um, and I, um, so I've been doing different stuff in the electricity sector. Right now, I'm uh, combining um, being a consultant by day and working for an industry cooperative by night. Um, yeah, uh, pretty much working at the moment on hydrogen and heat networks. networks. Okay. So a very busy day job and night job, it sounds like. <laughs> Yeah, although the um, the whole working at home thing, just uh, I think it works out quite well. To be really honest, it's a good combination of um, you know getting to work and seeing your children as well. So I uh, I'm getting used to it. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure working from home will come up a little bit in this this conversation as well. Certainly, it's it's changed how I work. <laughs> um, Dara, from your perspective, it'd be good to hear you know your experiences, your role at the moment in Citizen Advice. Yeah, absolutely. So I um, I lead a team in Citizens Advice that focuses on um, three main aspects of the energy market. Um, one is the smart energy, kind of smart home product services. And within that, you know, we talk about energy data, how it's used and EVs and all the different kind of changes that are coming down the track when it comes to the, the technology um, that will help with demand side reduction. I also cover energy efficiency and fuel poverty, which um, I don't think I need to expand on for your audience. <laughs> um, but, you know, the kind of fabric first and um, improving leaky homes and also low carbon heat. So decarbonizing heat um, and part of that is about heat networks and part of that is about the different low carbon heat technologies we might have in our homes, heat pumps, potential for hydrogen and um also a little bit on the kind of micro generation very much from the consumer side of things citizens advice is the statutory advocate for energy consumers across um 
Great Britain and we have like an official role in um, giving both advice and also advocating on behalf of energy consumers. I joined the Energy Advocate um, 12 years ago and uh, before that my work was very social policy um, very much around uh, local government and um, local government and the voluntary sector, things like overview scrutiny, governance, but also um, uh, community building, devolving funds to local decision makers, things like that. So moving into energy was a bit of a baptism of fire. I joined when we were, as a consumer body for, for consumers in Great Britain, we were dealing with the aftermath of the retail market review and you know what that would mean for people and the changing energy market and in the time that i have worked on energy it's gone from a market with around i don't know like seven or eight the, the big six plus you know two or three uh to to at its peak i think 60 odd suppliers and in this week where there's been a huge movement in the energy market you know we're very quickly seeing energy suppliers um going out of business so i think we're heading into another kind of um big period of, of change and reform in the market in this country and, and for systems advice our focus is very much on how people experience it um, what it means for bills the impact on affordability and I guess what's it's above that for me is that all of my work focuses on net zero and it's about how you take people with you on the journey to net zero yeah yeah and you were attracted to the energy sector as you know was it was it just something that, that kind of you came across from your social policy background I, I started in a policy background as well so I kind of <laughs> you know it's, mm. it's interesting that I made that transition across at a similar sort of time um and yeah Letitia yes. it sounds like you were into energy from a very young age instead <laughs> um is it you know is it something that you were aware of when you were younger growing up or is it just something that you came across through policy work so for me um I absolutely wasn't and if I'm to, to be to be totally truthful I applied for a job at what was a newly created consumer body with cross market work and it was a generic job description and um, I went through the interview process and I was put in I was kind of offered a job within the energy team and I thought Oh, this is interesting. Why do energy consumers need representing? So I started looking into it and I realised that um, I hadn't really done anything um, uh, that was about how people interacted with the regulated market. And I didn't know how long I would stay working on energy, but it is a, it's absolutely fundamental. It underpins pretty much everything we all do. We all rely on it. It's fascinating. And it's a market where... There are so many different routes that you could take your career um, in the so many different aspects of it, particularly thinking about the future energy market, particularly thinking about net zero and the transition of the energy market um, and the impact it's going to have on every single home and every life in this country. Yeah, and I guess that brings me on to the kind of first topic to discuss today, which is around, you know, are things improving? You know, are we getting to a more gender balanced energy sector I know even in the space of 10 years that I've been in the sector well coming up 15 years actually but you know 
I've seen a big transformation in the events I go to, at least, you mean, just looking around the room at the different types of people that were attending the events. Um, Letitia, I don't know if you've got any experiences around, you know, do you agree that we are heading in the right direction? Are we getting more gender balance? I'm going a bit back and forth. So, I mean, I agree with you. If you go to a conference, I remember going to Sparks and Flames in 2002 in Amsterdam and looking around me and uh, texting my uh, my husband at the time that I was the only woman in the room. And um, so that was how the sector was pretty much 20 years yeah. ago. Um, that has changed. You see much more women. You see more uh, young girls studying something that will lead them to a career in energy. I've been working for a university for five years and you saw how many girls were actually going to technical studies. Um, so I, that, I think there's definitely, you know, um, if you look at the bottom of the uh, age py- pyramid, um, there there's a lot of gender balance. I think I have no idea how old Dara is, but I'm 43. And in my age category, I see no gender balance at all. So that hasn't improved. And I actually don't, I don't expect it to improve because um, all the people that joined the same, um, you know, the energy sector when I was 20, all those guys, they're still around. <laughs> so it's not like they've left and done something else. So I'm, um, I don't see that much balance in, uh, you know, executive uh, functions. And so that depresses me a bit. But I think for younger people, it's definitely looking up. Yeah, similar sort of experience. What I would say, though, is um, having worked across the retail market and now working very much in that net zero space, there's a few things that strike me. Um, One is that working on smart metering and anything to do with that technical side of the kind of metering interaction in the home um very what what we would describe as a male pale and stale right and i say that because i'm not white and i have been around um far too many boardroom tables where i am one of two or three women and I am the only non-white person, and I am, yeah, more often than not, I'm the only consumer rep, um, understandable, because that's our official role, and it's actually very hard for other charities or consumer groups to be able to dedicate the time to get into the depth of the technicality of different things we work in, and that's, that to me is less of an issue, but it is an issue to me that the people around the table from the companies are likely to be men, and the handful of other women are likely to be the civil servants, right? And, and you notice that. Um, but that, you know, that to me was so stark when I worked on smart metering. But when I was doing work on things like the customer service, um, a lot of the senior people in companies, you know, senior like the managers and the customer service heads, often women who've worked their way up through through their kind of contact center um, model, not always, often, um, but not kind of when it came to going to London and sitting around that boardroom table, do you know what I mean? And there's a real difference there. Um, but now moving into the net zero space, um, which I've been doing since 2015, I've you know been leading the Future Energy Services team, working on a much broader range of issues, but it's not with the traditional energy suppliers always. There are there's a more of a diversity of um, actors, I think, in this space, different types of companies, um, uh, new emerging. Uh, and 
And where I'd say I find that similar again is EVs. It's very blokey. Um, <laughs> I mean, I mean <laughs> and, uh, actually, it's a good point. I mean, it, we've got an EV team, and I think not deliberately, but it is all men that's working in it at the moment. And I never really thought about it because they're great mm-hmm. guys. They know their content. They're incredible at what they do. But yeah, it is. It's yeah. it's quite yeah, blokey. It's not, no no com- no comment on on how how they how the well they're equipped to do their job. But you know, women make decisions about purchasing cars too. Women drive cars too. I drive an EV. You know, um, it is a very weird little bit of. And then and then on the other side, um, if I'm talking about energy efficiency or fuel poverty or low carbon heat there's a much more of a diversity so it there's there's these pockets isn't there across the market because the market's so diverse now as well and yeah maybe people are attracted to different aspects to, of it mm-hmm. yeah i don't, I don't know if you guys have got that as well because there might be a cultural difference i mean i work in the netherlands and you guys are in the uk you girls are in the uk but um um, right now, I'm really trying to get into those uh, boards of um, those advisory boards because I think, you know, you come to an age that you think, well, I think that I've done enough in the sector that I could maybe contribute on the on the advisory type of work. And um, and then you get all those courses on the Internet that are being offered to women. And I stumbled um, across one a couple of weeks ago and it was offered by a big consulting firm. And it was telling women, um, you know, if you are going to make it into an advisory board, come follow a course with us to make sure that you actually add value. Uh-uh. Wow. And there's even some <laughs> I'm try- I'm propositions that, that <laughs> I know. And there's some propositions that have been developed. I even applied for one at, uh, at some point. And that was come and follow a course with us for a year and we'll place you somewhere in an advisory board. And then everything you get in terms of salary, you need to pay to us for the first year because obviously you're not adding value because you don't know what you're doing. Well, I mean, I'm not a feminist, but I'm sure there's never been, you know, those type of courses offered to men. They get in those positions because they've done the work they've done and you actually expect that they add value because they're the person they are with the CV they have. So that's, I'm actually quite shocked by that development. That's something we really see in the Netherlands at the moment. So, I mean, yeah, I mean I think- some of it, you could you could argue that that um, the men get there because of who they know or where they went to school, right? It is not always by their merit. But I would I agree with you that there are loads of those sorts of courses, and it feels patronising, particularly when you are skilled and you know what you're doing. Um, but there's a gap. There are not enough women who are energy professionals. There are not enough women who are energy decision makers. Um, but there are plenty of women who are energy consumers. So it is, it is a, a, if not that route, then how? Obviously not right if they're trying to take anything you earn. But, you know, there are some good examples of um Really simple things I think you can do to help elevate uh, both yourself and your colleagues. And they are really simple things like um, for a long time now, my team at work has had a no manuals policy. Right? We get asked to speak at loads of conferences and 
any man on the team will turn it down if there is an um, if there if it's just a, a panel full of all men, they will just say no. Sorry, we we won't appear on them. I am at a point where if I am on a panel with three or four men, I'll say, well, I'm the only woman. And, you know, asking the charity person, the consumer advocate person to provide that diversity for you. I'll do it. If you find another woman, ask one of them to swap for one of their colleagues. You know, don't tell me you don't have a colleague who's female who could do this uh, because you do. You just don't think to offer it to her. And if you're doing an event or if you're at an event, ask a woman first when they've got their hand up to ask a question because nine times out of ten that you know the woman is not a women don't get called on to ask questions at conferences uh, and don't put their hands up as well this is like really basic things that we can do to kind of support and elevate one another and to suggest one another and to promote one another because I think that's such a big part of how we can improve that sort of um how we can improve that sort of uh, representation. I agree. Yeah, I've been, I've been. I mean, I've been called to conference to um to come and talk about topics. Uh, like I remember once being asked to talk about digitalization of the energy sector, which is something I know absolutely nothing about, and I refused. And when they asked me why I refused, and I said, "Well, you know, I don't know anything about it." The answer I got was, "Yeah, but you're a woman, and we need one on the conference." <laughs> and I think we should also turn these invitations down um you know i only go to conference when i think that i know something about you know the topic i'm going yeah, to be talking about <laughs> yeah so it's I'm, I'm going back and forth as well on those quotas and i think that uh what dara is saying is actually a really good one just saying you know if you if we have someone at the company that is a woman and could be talking about this topic, then you know it'd be better to send that person to just try and make sure that there is a gender balance that is being you know forced mm-hmm. upon these events until it feels like a habit and something that they're mm-hmm. not afraid of anymore. No, I just wanted to say I think it's great that you're highlighting that it's not just a it's not just women that have to try and create equality. There's a role for the men to stand up for it and say and call it out when they see it as well. And I think that's really important for mm-hmm. for the men in your team to be saying, you know what, actually I don't think that's appropriate. That panel is too because we you know why yeah, you know absolutely. You have to yeah. notice that. But that's a great step for them to have that awareness to try and make sure that there's some sort of kind of balance in the panels yeah. they're speaking at. Um so and this within, kind of brings on to the next systems advice, we have a big focus on EDI and it's something the team started to do organically. So we decided to put a bit of a framework around it. You know, what is it? How do you do it? And um, if I, I kind of mentioned it to my husband and he was like, oh, yeah, I've been doing that for years. Why on earth would you ever go and agree to go on a panel where there's no gender balance? And I was like, oh, well, I didn't. I mean, I'm so used to this very male energy world. Um, you it's it's right yeah and it sounds like just to kind of summarize you know it sounds like we're doing good things in terms of getting young women engaged so young women are starting to become more engaged we're starting to see them come through but it still feels like it's maybe in pockets so there's certain areas I don't want to call them last bastions of the energy sector but there's certain areas where it seems like they're still very male dominated I know I've certainly felt that when I've been in network conversations, um, you know, there's certain areas where it's harder. So, like, is there an argument there for extra support to help in, in those areas? Um, support would have to be in the form, and it's obviously not going to be something you'd want subsidized. So it'd have to be in the form of 
quotas or obligations or I'm I'm never very happy with those. Um, you know, I think you should, you could for a conference, for example, say that you want to have, you know, some balance in some form, but I, um, I used to work at a university, for example, who said that for every job you had to have the first six months, it was only open for women to apply. Um, I've got problems with that. Um, because I have, um, you know, like Dara said, there's not, there are not that many women that are experts in energy yet. And you shouldn't promote someone to a job because it's a woman. I, I don't think that works. Um, the only thing you want to see is that I had a, a, a course at some point that was given to me about um, all those bias that you have without knowing you have them. That was quite an, a shocker, I thought. Uh, you know, you think of yourself as being non-racist, open to everything, and then you get a bias course and you find yourself being biased on some points that you never, ever would have thought of yourself. Um, so I think those courses should definitely be mandatory, that you realize that you're putting a bias on things. If I take, for example, the example of energy cooperatives, it's all voluntary work. And it definitely, if you're talking about Bastion, well, that definitely is one. They're all 75. They're all men. They've all been working for Shell. Um, you know, and in their old days, decide to do something with renewable energy. Um, and then they are mourning the fact they can't get women around. But then, you know, at some point I wrote a quick note of how do I get more women working for my energy cooperative? They always organize meetings on Wednesday afternoons and Wednesday evenings. No idea how it is in the UK. In the Netherlands, it's just very regular that a woman, if, if she was working part-time, Wednesday will definitely be the day she will not be going to the office um, because school stops at 12 o'clock. So if you're making Wednesday your priority day, you're not going to get women around. Uh, people are meeting at, uh, for example, when I had to apply, I had to go to people's house. I mean, I'm not happy going to somebody's house that I've never met before and meet with three guys I've never met before. So I was like, why don't you just, you know, have meetings at town halls or at cafes or at a place where somebody will feel, you know, um, safe. safe and happy enough going to. They had never thought about it. And they were like, yeah, but I mean, we're not rapists. And I'm like, oh, it has nothing to do with that. It just has to do with the fact that I'm not comfortable going to somebody's home, talking to a guy not on a one-on-one -on -one basis that I've never met before. Um, I don't know what the house looks like. I don't know if there's a dangerous dog inside. I've, you know, I've been through that as well. So I'm just like, just, just make it, you know, um, easy for people to walk in and just ad adapt yourself. And, and if you like, we've always met on Wednesdays for the last 40 years, adapt, be flexible, just choose another day. Um, yeah. And those are very easy things that they had never thought of. Um, and I'm not even going into the use of words because there are so many red herrings, right? Things that you don't want to hear. Um, so anyway, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, you've picked up some really good points there. And I think, you know, it's kind of moving on to the kind of, you know, what advice would you give to men and women working in the space? And when I was thinking about what I would advise, you've already picked up on the bias point. I'd note down biases, you know, because I know that I have biases when I do recruitment. I'm really aware of them. I've tried to be really aware of them. But the first stage to do that is like just acknowledging that you might have some because of your 
upbringing and your background and your privilege. Um, and then the other thing is around actively listening and adapting. And I think you've, again, Letitia picked up on that, but like, it, you know, actually listening to what makes women feel comfortable and able to collaborate or cooperate or be part of that conversation not just you know playing lip service to it but actually adapting your like you said your meeting regime you know to make that work would be one step yeah Um, and not being judgmental that because it's nothing for you that it should be nothing for someone else I think that's the most important if somebody thinks feels very strongly about something then it's just it's just a fact of life um, and the fact that you don't feel strongly about it or you don't have any fears or you're very happy to go in the middle of the night visit other people it's it's all your you know it's it's your fact of life but that's um yeah, yeah Dara, so do you I have mean, anything on advice for people or steps people could take well i I mean, I am feminist and I do think that um, in the workplace, people should be treated equally. And I feel like um, one of the big things that uh, divides people and, you know, the the point we made, um, Letitia made about um, age as well. You know, the minute people have children, you could be in the most... um, you could be in the most equal relationship with your partner if if your partner is male and you have children and things change because you're the one who physically carries the children. In the UK, you have the more time off. Um, and as a result of that, your career suffers, right? Um, so there's a huge, there's a huge impact, um, I think, on women's careers at a certain point. And how you handle that and um, how you treat colleagues and people you line manage um, through those career changes whilst helping people to develop and think about the direction of their career and what they'd like to do and how. It's a huge, huge topic, isn't it? It's massive and it's well-researched and there's far more people who could do the topic justice than I can because it's absolutely not my area of specialism. But as a line manager, as a team leader, as a member of a senior leadership team, I think there's some really basic things that you can do, which is, you know, talk to and encourage, pre-pandemic, talk to and encourage anyone who's a parent, male or female, to consider whether they want flexible hours and things like that. Um, But also thinking about that across the team. So one thing I've realised with the, we have quite a young team, and a lot of them want a lot more flexibility, not for children. Now, they want to say, can I do a nine-day fortnight? Can I compress my hours? Because there's other things they like to pursue in their, uh, other parts of their life. And But bringing flexibility to work, for me, it's not just parents and it's not just women who want that. You know, thinking about those sorts of um, workplace issues are quite important. And and I agree about this, the kind of STEM the STEM things as well. I think, you know, science, technology, engineering, mathematics, the more women get into these issues, the more hopefully we'll see them entering the energy market too. Yeah. Well, if you you asked us for advice for uh, women as well and getting into the field of energy, and I have quite a lot of, especially when I was working at the university, I had quite a lot of students coming around and saying, you know, what, what, what should I be doing first when I'm finished with my degree? And I've always said to people, just specialize. Um, that has been my, my trick all those years. It's just find this little spot 
this area of expertise that you're going to be the best in, that they always need you around. And by being a specialist at the table, it means you don't have to raise your voice. It means you don't have to, you know, um, have a fist on the table because you're just, they are going to need you and they're going to need your expertise and they will ask you a question at some point. I mean, I remember being 22, 23 and joining even negotiations around merger and acquisition and being at tables where I shouldn't have been at. But the only reason was I just had that very specialist knowledge of the market that they needed at that moment. Uh, so I think it gives you visibility, it gives you credibility, and it's it's um, it gives you the uh, the possibility to not not have to spend so much energy in trying to be visible and recognized because you are visible because you know what you know. So that's always my big trick tip. <laughs> that's great advice. <laughs> great advice. Um, I'd like to bring it back a little bit to a bit of the why we kind of skipped over. I mean, I think we've covered it and through the the conversation. But, you know, we're talking about this because we all believe, I think, that gender balance is important and it will bring benefits to the energy transition. Um, so, yeah, I guess just going back there, Dara, I don't know if, if you want to link it back to your, your consumer work around, you know, what are the benefits of having women more involved in the energy space? So, um, I... <laughs> I think it, there's a really simple thing about, you know, you can't be what you can't see, right? And it's this, um, it's really hard for people to aspire to being active in a market or on an issue if they can't see other people who um, look like them, who they can model themselves on and, and what that might mean. Um, so I think that's really important. I think we touched a little bit about kind of women in leadership positions. I think that's really crucial to to bring um a diversity of uh women energy professionals and and women as decision makers because i mean i'm i'm loath to say that women will bring soft skills or anything like that because actually we shouldn't right we should do what we're there to do because we're professionals i just don't think that being a woman should exclude you from these spaces if you're the right professional person to be there. So quite similar to what Letitia was saying, you know, the the having a having gender equity in energy policy means elevating women because right now there just aren't enough women who are um, active in the senior parts of these markets across the country. And if we're able to do that, I mean, that means there's, you know, a bigger range of voices around the table. So the innovation, the ideas, generation, the, you know, yeah. the business models we're coming up with that appeal to consumers will actually have people you know, that I, have experienced I've, I've those. Exactly. <laughs> you know, the um, Caroline Criado Perez, the, do, do you know which book I'm talking about? Everyday Sexism? You can't design okay, yeah, a market. Yeah, yeah. Men can't design a market that 50% of the users are women, right? Men men can't design that market alone without considering women because women are 50% of the consumer base. So why wouldn't you want women around the table at all points? Mm -hmm. 
Letitia, you said you had an an example. Yeah, well, I because I mean, uh, Dara is obviously you know she is she has she's been talking she's talking to customers and half of the customers are women, so that that is a direct why. Um, you could ask yourself why in strategy departments or merger and acquisition or regulatory affairs, you know, why should you have women in deal rooms? But I've I've seen, for example, I don't know how you are but I am a huge writer so I write everything down all the time I've got my old attic is full of notebooks of notes that I've taken in meetings and I don't know if you've noticed but men never take notes they take like very little notes I always wonder where you go back home how could you (laughs) even remember what has been said today and it's been always of such use because people would just think uh, where were we last time? And I'll just be able to say, let's cut the crap. We were there, 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 and there. You've said that and that. And now this is how, you know, we're going to proceed. So it always has had value <laughs> to have, uh, I think it adds value to have people that are just um, behaving differently in meetings as well. So I would be like taking notes and not worrying myself that people will think I'm a secretary. Uh, there's nothing <laughs> wrong with taking notes. It's just it's very useful. Uh, you can look back at them afterwards. You can be very productive. Um, another thing would be, I always look around at um, body language. I remember going to a um, a deal conversation in France and I happened to be French. So, And my Dutch colleagues were entirely sure we had the deal. We were trying to buy a portfolio of solar and wind uh, parks. And I just looked around and I thought, no, we don't have anything at all. Those people hate us. And then um, I met with the guy from the company we were trying to buy from. I met him in the lift on the way out. And I said, we don't have it, do we? And he said, no, no, absolutely not. And my two Dutch colleagues went to celebrate that evening because they were so entirely sure that we were going to get the deal. Because at no point in the conversation did they actually look up and you know feel the atmosphere of that room. Mm-hmm. And you can tell so much from body language. And that's just something that women look at. (laughs) Um, So that's, you know, I think we we bring different skills. I mean, uh, we all know, you know, we have the same level of knowledge. So that's that's not where the difference is. But we bring different skills. We are more thinking about risks very often. So when there is a tunnel vision going on of everybody wanting wanting to make a deal very often, we'd be the ones going, let's think of this and that. And not sure I'll look that one up and so I think that you know it's just uh you should have as many different voices at the table like you said because it brings um you know it makes it a better conversation um yeah absolutely and then in terms of how do we make make that happen how do we facilitate that as an industry you know is there what's the kind of biggest things that still need to be overcome to enable those open conversations where everyone's sitting at the table I think uh, Dara said it well. Um, you need a woman in leadership position to make sure that you attract more women, or that you know it starts at. It doesn't only start at the bottom, so it always also starts at the at the top. And what we see in the Netherlands at the moment is that a lot of young people are leaving those big energy companies because they don't feel. Uh, they don't feel that they are seeing the values in the board that they want to be seeing. So they're all about renewable, sustainable, net zero. And then they look at the 
at the leadership team. And the leadership team is all about protecting our interest, fossil energy, fossil backgrounds. Um, so you need to make some breakthroughs in the leadership team because it will definitely reflect on the whole organization. I, I strongly believe that. I think, I think, yes, absolutely. It's about leadership team. But I also think one more thing, and that is that there is some value in cross-industry um, in cross industry uh, initiatives. I think that cross-industry initiatives can really help to kind of embed um, thinking about things to do with equality, diversity and inclusivity, whether that's gender, whether that's race, whether that's disability and access or neurodiversity, you know, really trying to make things um, more inclusive is the way forward. And I think, I know we've been not mentioned COVID directly. I know Letitia has sort of mentioned the impact it has on work-life balance for her. Um, I think that COVID has been described as a real leveler for so many people because of the change to commute and the ability to work from home and the impact it has on women. My worry is that as the world opens up and conferences and things start to happen again, you know, networking, all of that business, um, what's going to happen? Is it always going to be the woman that's on the screen? Will it only be men who decide that they're going to go to? Because I've been to two conferences now and there have been far more men than women there. And I almost, like, I'm slightly worried about this, you know? Yeah, I mean, I hadn't thought of it in that context of the return to work because obviously, I mean, there's, yeah, it's it's a difficult conversation to have because obviously at some point we need to start returning to, you know, normal. But you'd hope the new normal would prevail. But you're right, if there's, when everyone's working at home, it's very equal and everyone's working off a screen. But when only some of the right. people can attend, you start to see that division again um, yeah. where, you know, some people can be very active in those meetings. I think your point there, Dara, about inclusivity yeah. is a big thing. So it shouldn't really just be about gender equality. It's just about complete inclusivity. And if you're mindful of that, yeah, then, absolutely. you know, mm. the gender balance would follow. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm mindful of the, the intersectionality that I've experienced in, in the over, over a decade that I've been involved in the energy market. I'm very mindful of the fact that, you know, more often than not, usually, I am the only non-white face around a table in the energy market in this country. Um, and there was a time where I was often the youngest as well, but that's not the case anymore. But um, but certainly kind of not being white and not being a man, that combination of factors, um, it has an impact on how you feel. It has an impact on your confidence. And it's the people around you it's your leaders, it's your, you know, it's the women around you who elevate and support and give you the confidence, reminding you that you can do your role and then how you pay that forward. You know, the older I get, the more I'm aware it's, it's that funny I want to pay that forward. It's funny you said that thing about age because you said I used to be, you know, the youngest one around and I had that feeling as well for a very long time. I mean, I started very early as well, but I... It feels like women stay younger, longer. I mean, how often have I not heard that I was too young for a role? And I'm like, how how long do you stay too young? Mm. Um, that's, I, I mean, I don't know how it is in the UK, but 
at, at 43, I, I'm still waiting for that moment that people are going to say, oh, she is, you know, she has the, the, mm. the experience. She's, she's been around for long. I'm like 43 years old. <laughs> That's ancient. Mm. <laughs> How come I'm, <laughs> am I still too young? <laughs> but that also comes from the fact that nobody in the, in the energy industry seems to retire ever. People just go from executive position to advisory boards to all sorts of civil servants, working groups. And I, um, I don't know about how it is in the UK, but in the Netherlands, if you're 70 or 75 or 80, you're still being advisory boards of the energy industry. So if I have to wait for all these people to retire, you know, <laughs> I'll probably never get there. I've got a good example of that because I was on the board for Smart Energy GB, which is a, a slightly unusual, you know, kind of set up by government, funded by industry to promote smart meter rollout in the country. And um, I was on the board because Citizens Advice has a seat at the board because of the way it was set up. You know, the board is made up of industry representatives and you want to have a balance and hear that consumer voice. So, um, but uh, for various reasons, that makeup changed and um, our status changed on the board. So I was leaving the board and I was involved in the recruitment for um, what would be consumer reps. And it's exactly as you say, like people who've retired understand consumer issues and can speak for and on behalf of consumers um, at the board level. And you get a real range of different people who apply for these roles. Most of them are men. And you see across the across energy in the UK, um, for example, network panel, consumer engagement groups on energy networks, you know, uh, there's a lot of retired men doing the rounds. Where are the retired women? True. Yeah. Well, I think that's a really good question. You know, where are the retired women? But it's going to have to be a question that waits um, for another time as we are running running short of time today. So John has kindly lent me his Talking New Energy crystal ball for one week only. So to finish, if I set the dial to 2030, um, what do you hope the sector will have achieved by then? Um, and what do you expect the role of women to be? And if we can keep the answers reasonably brief, because um, we are running out of time, that would be great. Letitia, do you want to, to take it first? Shall I go? I yeah, am please. very optimistic for 2030 in the sense that I don't think that I think we have all the technology around that we need to reach the goals of 2030 so if you take 2030 as a, a sort of a, a, a midterm goal then then I'm definitely not pessimistic uh, the only thing is that standing in the way is the way we do things you know, it's all regulations and little rules and frustrations we all have and, and the fact that we're, we're all a bit unwilling to change. Um, so that's on the one hand, I'm like, okay, we do have the cure. <laughs> but on the other hand, we are standing in the way of implementing the cure. So I hope that at some point people realize that they should definitely dare to make those changes to leadership teams, to governments, to um, ministries, to mm -hmm. to really make sure that those people that are willing to take on that change, that are not afraid of doing it, um, are not hindered by any sorts of background or deal history or whatever, I hope that those changes are going to happen very soon because otherwise we won't be able to implement the technology that we have in-house. I mean, if you look at gas prices today, and we have a whole discussion in the Netherlands coming up about energy poverty. 
um, because of gas prices the way they are today, um, I'm like, you know, we, we've been warned for this for 15 years, maybe even 20 years. And we have been resisting change. We have been resisting heat pumps. We've been resisting heat networks. And now we're all surprised that, you know, people are going to be fearing for not being able to pay their energy by this winter. This, this is all our fault collectively. So I really hope that we're going to embrace the change. Yeah, it's an opportunity. Mm. See it as an opportunity. Yes. Challenge, huge challenge, but a, a huge opportunity to get on the right path and to have a, a so. wider conversation. And Dara, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I think, you know, I would say that by 2030, what I'd like to see is the women who are the middle managers of today taking more leadership and senior roles. Um, you know, it's only nine years. There's not, it's not that far in the future. If you project to 2050, what I want to see is effort today to encourage women in STEM, having resulted in more women in energy leadership positions by 2050. Fantastic. Okay, so to summarise, how do we summarise a conversation like today, such a big, big topic? I mean, I think what's become clear is that there are still huge challenges facing the sector in terms of inclusion, not just of women, but inclusion generally. Um, and that it's going to be important over the next few years to to dare to speak up and to dare to make those changes. And ultimately, the solution to the energy crisis is is better engagement, and that's engagement across all groups. Um, and it's great to see that there's also lots of ambition and hope for the future. And yeah, like the guest here today, I think I really believe that by, by 2030, we'll be making some headway um, into this space. And with that, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much, Letitia, Dara, for joining me today. It's been great to have you on. If you're as passionate about the energy transition as we are, then please keep in touch. You can follow us and me on Twitter, LinkedIn, or subscribe to the podcasts on your chosen podcast platform. If you like the podcasts and like sharing, then please do rate us. And to listen to archived episodes, to read transcripts, and to see the latest Delta EE insights, then please visit www.delta-ee.com. Thank you.